spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit your, to your own husbands as, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we just pray, Lord, as we get into this text today, Lord. We pray for your spirit, Lord. We pray for your spirit to illuminate scripture, Lord, to give us eyes to see, Lord, to make what, what we see and we read on these pages and, and what we learn to our day not, not just be in our head but real to our heart, Lord. That's what your spirit needs to do, to transform us, Lord, to, to help us love our spouses, to help us live lives of holiness, Lord, to, to step into the roles that you've called us to play, Lord, to do the, the work that you've called us to do. Transform us, Lord. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So uh, yesterday, this past week, the, the Scots aren't here. I wish they were here. Jackie and Marietta Scott celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary. And yesterday, I, I got the great pleasure of, of spending time at the Hutt's house. They had a little party yesterday, and, and man, I was just so encouraged. I was just so uh, blown away at how amazing their, their marriage is a picture of the gospel. Because that's what, I mean, we saw last week, God's di- design for marriage, and we see this week is, is marriage is a, a, a reflection of, of the gospel, right? A, a reflection of God's glory. And so I, I was just thinking about, as, as I was thinking about their, their marriage, of, of Jesus' unbreakable, never-ending, never-stopping, never-giving-up love, right? The love that, this love bond, this, this covenant commitment that God has to us that doesn't go away. I was reflecting on, as they're even sharing, you know, in order to make 60 years, you have to forgive each other a lot, right? So it reminded me of God, how much God forgives us every day, day by day. He remains faithful to us, right? The, the commitment, the sacrifice, the hard work, and, and it was just a blessing. And really, uh, that's what the, that marriage right there just highlights what, what we talked about last week, right? God's design for marriage was that two would become one flesh in covenant together, right? And would, would image, in the image of God, that they would reflect and glorify a, a Trinitarian God together. 
right? That as they live in, in this, this community of, of love, that people would see what God is like. And that they would step into the role that God gave them, right? There, there's the role of, of the man as leader. And we saw last week the, the wife as helper, right? They, they take that role to do the work that God had called them to do, right? Which is the work he calls all of us to do in marriage, right? To be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And we saw even this idea of working and keeping, that they're going to partner together to, to glorify God, to do the roles that he's given them and, and the work that he's given them. Now, we saw also last week that sin just totally wrecked marriage, right? We saw what's wrong with marriage. Why is it so difficult? We see it's sin. I mean, sin just infects everything, right? It, it just messes everything up. It, it breaks everything. And so it pulls man and woman away from one another and away from their roles and their identity and in God, who they're created to do. And, and now they begin to seek their identity, not in God, but in created things. Right? We saw last week that, that the woman's problem is that she would have this uh, unwholesome desire for her husband. Right? Her desire would be, be for her husband, it says, and he will rule over you. So she, she's drawn unwholesomely to find her identity and her fulfillment in her husband rather than God. And then man, we see his work becomes toil. And, and now, instead of his identity being found in God and, and being fulfilled and, and glorifying God through his work, his identity is going to go towards his work. And he's going to be pulled away from all his God-given roles. He's going to be pulling away from God to to unwholesome desire for work and so so that's how marriage is, is just pulling us away from each other right woman unwholesomely towards man and and man away from woman into work and that creates conflict and so i, I want to look at today god's plan to redeem marriage our hope for marriage and it starts right here in ephesians five eighteen through 21 or actually 22 as i, I would say because if you see this section we see it starts out with, don't get drunk with wine, right? That's debauchery. And then it says, but be filled with the Spirit. And then in 21, it tells us, and then you can submit to each other. And 22, and it calls wives to submit to their husbands. So there's, there's something here, this connection that, that Paul is making through this idea of being filled with the Spirit, right? So that we're able to do what God has called us to do. Right, this, this loving submission and serving one another and, and wives submitting to their husbands. The spirit is key. Now, there's this strange contrast in this text, right? Where it tells us, you know, why is it talking about getting drunk with wine? That just seems strange. Well, the, the idea that, that Paul is teaching here is, well, let me, let me ask you this. Why do, think about this in your head. Why do people get drunk? Right? People get drunk so they can feel happy, right? When, when, when you drink alcohol, you forget all your problems and you feel better, right? That's why people drink alcohol, right? It helps them forget and, and act like there's nothing there. And, you know, what typically what it'll do is it just make your problems worse so you keep going to alcohol. Well, this idea of being filled with the Spirit is now a contrast. What does the Spirit do? Well, the Spirit makes us happy, right? Don't look for happiness in alcohol. Be filled with the Spirit and be happy, 
That's what the Spirit does. And, and, and the Spirit is totally opposite of alcohol. Alcohol makes you forget. The Spirit makes you more aware of your problems. It makes you, but at the same time, it makes you more aware, or not it, He, the Spirit, right? The Trinitarian God, He makes you more aware of your problems and your resources in Christ Jesus, right? So you see all your problems. You see your sin. You see your need for a Savior. And the Spirit comes in and also helps you see how loved and accepted you are in Christ Jesus, right? He helps you see that uh, the gospel, right? God's grace and His mercy and His forgiveness and, and the hope that you have in Christ. That's what the Spirit does. And what happens when you see your sin, but also see God's, how great God's love is, you become happy. You're filled with the Spirit, right? And then you obey God, and you can forgive, and, and you can love. The Spirit makes what you know in your head real to your heart, right? Because oftentimes we can know all the right things, but live like they're not true. Right? So we need the Spirit to fill us and to make those things real to us. And so what happens here, and we see in this text, right, the, the Holy Spirit fills us, makes the gospel real to us, and, and God's love overflows out of our, our, our hearts. Look at what it says, verse 19, right? We begin addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it calls wives to submit to husbands, right? We're, we're able to do these things to, to speak lovingly and kindly and, and be thankful and submit and serve each other because we're filled with the Spirit, because we're filled up with, with God's love. So what, what does... So, I mean, so basically... What does marriage need, right? Marriage needs this, this gospel power, this, this spirit-filled uh, ability to love. Uh, I, uh, from, uh, Tim Keller calls it love philanthropy. So if you think about philanthropy, philanthropists have so much money, right? There's so much money coming in over here on this side that philanthropy, right, giving money to charities and organizations and churches becomes a hobby, right? There's so much money coming in over here that they're able to pour out generously on the other end. So that's what the Spirit does, is it enables us to do love philanthropy, to be so filled up with God's love that we're able to pour it out on this side and pour it out richly and, and generously to one another. And so unless you're filled with the Spirit, right, unless you know God's love, unless you have... The, a growing relationship with Christ, you won't be able to love sacrificially, right? Uh, if you're not getting what you need from your spouse, then you won't be able to love them as God calls you to love them, right? You, maybe you'll melt down. Maybe you get super stressed out. Maybe you'll, you'll get angry and, and demanding if they're not giving you what you think you deserve and what you think you need. Without the Spirit, you'll only be able to, to give love as long as you're getting it, right? You'll be selfish with your love. Without the Spirit, you'll, you know, if you're not getting what, 
what you need, you'll withdraw, become angrier, maybe even look for love elsewhere. But if you love Jesus, you know, more than your spouse, you'll be able to love sacrificially, right? And when two people love Jesus more than they love each other, that's going to be an amazing marriage, right? When they're so filled up with, with Jesus and able to just pour in, unconditionally love one another, they're going to have a blessed marriage. And, and you know, that's, it just makes me think of, of the Scots, you know, for 60 years. They've, they've done their best to do that, and that's why they've endured. And I hope to one day, I hope to one day celebrate, you know, my 60th anniversary. You know, how amazing would that be? So needs, so the, God, the marriage needs to be filled with the Spirit, right? You need love philanthropy, and that's where Paul begins. And then now, because we're filled up in the Spirit, now he's calling wives to submit to their husbands, right? The, he's calling us back to our, our God-ordained, right, the roles that he's created us to do. And he shares this, this concept here in uh, 22 through 24 of, of headship. Headship, right? He, he tells us that husband is the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church, right? Headship, leadership, responsibility, service, authority, right? Someone in any kind of, I mean, any, whenever you're trying to get something done, someone's got to lead, right? And so God, or you don't, you can't get anywhere, right? There's just disorder and conflict, and so God has ordained that the man will lead. He's chosen it. And so, and I know this is a, a, a difficult idea. You know, I know uh, women, especially in, in our culture, this day and age, struggle with this idea of headship and submission. It sounds like chauvinism, but I, 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 I truly believe it's a great blessing, right? When, when both sides are doing what God's called them to do, headship and submission is a great blessing for the family, for the wife, for the husband, for everyone. So I want to talk to, the, I, I know the people who are struggling with submission and headship are, are women who tend to be domineering, right? Domineering wives, you are going to struggle with this. And, and so I want to talk to you. you uh, and here's the thing. Many of you women are, are super smart. You're capable. You're independent. You, I mean, you could run your whole house. You could do it yourself, probably. But what God is calling you to do is, in your marriage, is to back off and be quiet, right? And he's calling men to step up and, and speak out, right? Because domineering, if you have a domineering wife and a, and a passive husband, you, you're going to tend to have a, a role reversal. So, right? So if you're a domineering type of woman, you need to back off and be quiet. And men, you need to stand up and speak out. There's two errors that domineering wives can make. They can try to be their husband's mom, or they can try to be his savior, right? Maybe, maybe uh, you know, think about the idea of her being his mom. Maybe your husband struggles to hold a job, 
Maybe he's lazy. Maybe he's, he's irresponsible. And so you want to come in and, and be his mom and, and take care of him and pay for all his bills and, and provide for him. Right? Your, your temptation is to go and, and be his mom and, and hold his hand and, and take care of everything and organize everything and, and just take leadership in the home. And let me just tell you, if you step up and do that, you'll enable your husband to remain immature, right? So you need to back off and and allow him to to grow into his role, and he needs to step into it, or he'll remain immature. And you might think it's cute at first. Oh, you know, I love taking care of him, and right? He's like my little baby. But it won't be cute forever. It will get old, right? No one wants to... (laughs) He'll, he'll remain childish. So you have to back off. You can't be his mom. Now, some people, some women want to be their husband's savior, right? They want to save him from, from messing up maybe their lives, his lives, the family, making bad decisions and, and, and getting us into some maybe financial trouble and maybe makes, you know, unwise decisions. And, and so she wants to make, every decision for him so he won't fail, right? I'm going to save him from messing up. And let me just tell you, women, you got to allow him to fail. And you need to trust God that God is sovereign. He's in control, and, and he's working out all things for your good. And, and he'll fail, and he'll get up, and he'll try again, and you'll encourage him, and he'll learn. So you need to be able to allow your husband to fail. Back off. Be quiet. But I think you, what you should do is be patient, right? Give input, you know, give input to him, but allow him to, to make decisions, right? That doesn't mean you just, you're, you just totally let everything go, but you're there by his side, right? Trying to encourage him and, and trying to help him as, he's, as he begins to step into these decisions, and if, you, if, he's, if you're domineering and he's passive, if you continue to domineer and take his role, you'll resent him for becoming more and more passive and not doing the role that you won't allow him to step into. And on the opposite end, passive men, you've got to stand up and speak up. You've got to trust the Lord. You've got to ask for the Spirit to fill you, to, to help you. You can maybe ask for uh, uh, wisdom from other men to, to help you. Be, how, do, how do I begin to, to lead my wife? How do I live, lead my family? If you don't know what wise financial decisions, get help. That's part of leadership is get help. You know, you, you don't have to figure it all yourself. So you need to know your, your plan to lead your family spiritually. You should know your, your plan to how do I pursue my wife and, and grow and, and have a deeper relationship, right? What, what's our plan for, for parenting our children? What's our plan for our finances? Where are we going? What are we doing? Men, you got to be, you got to be making those decisions. And you're not going to make them all by yourself, but you can't just go to work and, ex- and then leave everything else for your wife to figure out. That's your responsibility. Your home is your responsibility, right? Even if you think about in the garden, who does God look for, right? He doesn't look for Eve. He looks for Adam. 
Adam, where are you? Right? Adam, it's your responsibility. He's calling Adam out of his passivity, right? Adam stood by and watched his wife take his role in leadership and make this major decision for their life, right? Eating this fruit, and he was quiet, and it brought destruction. So God's calling him, and he's holding Adam, holding man responsible. The next thing we see, number three, is that husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5.25. Right? So how did Christ love, love the church? Well, we know Christ died for his church. He died for his people. Right? The church is God's people all times, everywhere. This universal church of all people that come under the lordship of Jesus Christ is his church. Right? Mark 10.45 says, The Son of Man didn't come, did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Right? Christ served His church. He died for the church. And so husbands are called to take up their cross and die to self and give their lives away to their bride. And that's why submission is a blessing, right? Because you're, you're submitting to someone who's, who's dying for you who's given his whole life to, to seek your well-being and, and do good for you, and, he's, and, and you're partnering together. That's why submission is a blessing. So men should never use headship just to please themselves. This is why many women struggle with headship, because some men treat submission as if they're the king of the castle, they sit on the throne, everything revolves around them, Everyone serves me and, and does what I say when I say it or else. Right? This, is, this is the chauvinist man. And, and, and it's all about me. Right? And that's why women, when they hear submission, they think that. I got to submit to that. That's not submission. Right? That's chauvinism. And so men are called to live for the good of their wives always. Die to self. That means you might have to die to some of your hobbies, right? If you have responsibilities at home that you, that you can't keep, maybe you die to some of your hobbies. Or, 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 you know, there's going to be stuff that you have to sacrifice and give up to be home, to be with your family. And so, men, I always try to encourage men to always put their wives first on every decision possible, right? What restaurant are you going to go to? Wherever she wants to go. What music are you going to listen to in the car? Whatever she wants to listen to. What color are you going to paint your room? If she wants a pink room, give her a pink room, right? Even if it makes you sick, give her a pink room. Let her pick the covers. Let her decorate the house. Let her make the, I mean, serve her. Because there will come a day when you have to exercise headship. And I believe headship should only be exercised when the two of you can't come to an agreement on something, right? On a, on a choice that you have to make. And so what you want to do is, is be so sacrificially serving your spouse that when that day comes that you have to say, no, honey, 
I think we should do this. I know we disagree, right? You want to go left, and I think we should go right. And we disagree here. But because I love you, we're going to make this decision. We're going to go this way. And you have to trust me, right? If you're, if you're always about yourself, everything's about you, and, and it's just about you and the house, then when that time to come, comes to make that decision, it's going to be very difficult because she's going to say, oh, here he is. He's just being selfish again, right? All he cares about is himself. Where if you're lovingly and sacrificially serving day by day, it'll make it easier for her to respect you and follow you and submit to you, right, and trust you. So it's never to please yourself. So Ruthie and I had a... Had, Oh, me and Ruthie were trying to think of uh, a time where we, we had this. I remember about five years ago, maybe six years ago, we had this 2002 Honda CRV. Now, I wanted to sell it because uh, Sophia was about to be born, so I wanted to get a little bit bigger of a vehicle, and I wanted to sell it so I could pay off some debt. Now, Ruthie loved the car. She wanted to keep the car, but, but I, I made the decision, and she trusted me, and we sold that, and I bought this, like, 1992 Suburban. Bad decision. That Suburban, I had it for three months. Two of the months it was in the shop, right? It's a horrible decision. I, I spent like $4,000 into this Suburban that was worth probably like $3,000, right? And then to pay it off, I went and took money out of my 401k. I needed a financial peace university <laughs> back then. And and I ended up getting a Tahoe, and that thing was a, a lemon. I just had all these car troubles. And on, through all that time, Ruthie never rubbed it in my face. She never said, I told you so. You know, she, she partnered with me, and we figured it out together. I made mistakes. I made some bad mistakes. I paid for it when tax time came, right? But I grew. But I grew. And I, and I grew in, in my leadership, and, and she was, you know, lovingly submissive. And so, so that's the way it should go, right? When, when a husband has to exercise the headship, right, and he makes that decision, wives, you know, hey, that's our decision, right? You stick by his side. Even if it, if left, going the other way was better, right, you don't say, ha, ha, I told you so. No, when you made that decision, we made that decision together. That's headship. That's submission. The next thing we learn here is that marriage transforms us. That's what we see in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. We see that Christ came to transform sinners, right? Look, look what it says here, right? After it calls husbands to love their wives, it says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, right? Christ is about sanctifying the church, his people. It says, having cleansed her by the washing of, of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Right? So, so we see that in Christ, right, it, it marriage, his marriage, uh, he, him as the groom and as the church as his bride is about him sanctifying, purifying, making the church holy and blameless, right? That's what, that's what Christ is doing. And, so, and that's what marriage is about. Marriage is about holiness. 
It's about your sanctification. It's about growing together spiritually. And uh, if you're married, you already know this, right? But marriage reveals you more than any other relationship. You can't hide your sin, right? You're confronted with it daily, right? Your own selfishness and your pride. You're, you're confronted with it daily. So you have to get honest with yourself as you come into, into marriage. And, and, and so because of that, we should expect conflict, right? You can't be surprised that in marriage that you're going to have conflict. When you put two sinners together, right, you're going to have conflict. And so there's, there's nothing wrong with conflict. Right? Conflict is good, and if, if you avoid conflict, you avoid intimacy with your spouse. Now, you can deal with conflict in an unbiblical, in an unhealthy way, or you can deal with it lovingly, right, in, in a way that seeks to build one another up, and that's how you should pre- deal with conflict. So in marriage, you're going to have to speak the truth to one another, lovingly you're gonna have to that's what call that's what's called admonish one another right you're gonna have to deal with sin in each other's lives right to be able to come with come to one another and and point out sin not in a in a in a judgmental way but in a loving way hey honey i love you and and i see this in your life and we need to be able to our 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 spouse should be able to come to us and we should, we should be willing to listen to them in a loving way. We should be humble and approachable. Right? James 1.19 says this way. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Right? So if you want to be transformed, right? if you guys want to be conformed to the, to the image of Christ, to glorify God together, you're going to have to be willing to lovingly confront one another, which is, scary sometimes, right? You're going to have to step into the conflict, into the difficulty for the good of, of your marriage and for your spouse. And when, when someone comes to you, you need to be willing to shut up and listen, right? To be humble enough to be approachable. If not, you won't grow, right? You won't grow. And, and your spouse will be afraid to say anything to you because you're going to blow up every time they say something to you. So you need to be humble and approachable. You need to confess your own sins before you come to each other. right? Take the, take the log out of your own eye before you approach each other. Confess your sins. Repent. Forgive one another. Right? Look to Jesus who forgave you of your sin. Marriage is like a, a gem tumbler, right? What, it, what they do is they put rough stones in this gem tumbler, and the stones bang against each other and knock off the rough edges. And that's what marriage is. And that hurts sometimes. You know, it's hard sometimes. But if you love each other, you're going to have to be willing to do that. Willing to confront. Willing to listen. Willing to, to repent and forgive. You have to do it. You have to, or, or you'll grow distant from each other. The next thing we learn is to become one flesh. It's, it's uh, Paul's quoting what we read last week in, in Genesis about this uh, 
you know, man leaving his father and mother and, and holding fast to his wife. And that, that's the idea of, of covenant and consummation. We see hold fast is the idea of, of covenant, right? That's the wedding day where, where you come before your family, you come before God, the, the pastor, you sign your, your, your wedding marriage certificate, right? You're covenanting deep, exclusive, permanent, legal bond of marriage, unbreakable bond, right? A, a commitment to love each other presently and permanent commitment to love each other for the rest of your life. That's what, that's what covenant is. And then we see that the two become one flesh. And that's the idea. That's consummation, right? That's the wedding night. Covenant's the wedding day. Consummation's the wedding night. And you have to have both, right? If you don't consummate the marriage, you don't have a marriage. I think even the law says you can get it annulled if you never consummate. Both are required and should be in that order, right? Our culture wants to consummate and have no covenant whatsoever. So they should be in that order. And because the two become one flesh, it means you're, you're one, right? We should not deprive each other sexually. 1 Corinthians 7, 3. You, no, open it up with me. 1 Corinthians 7. We belong to each other and we can't deprive each other sexually. You want to you want to screw up your marriage? Deprive each other sexually. And, and, and Satan will tempt you is what we're going to see here. It says here, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. And if you skip down to verse 5, it says, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan will not, may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Right? So it tells us clearly, there, marriage is for oneness. You belong together. Your body is not your own. You're supposed to be generous with one another. Right? Be generous. Sex is about serving one another. And so women, you cannot use sex to control your marriage, right? To get the man to do whatever you want him to do for you. And men, you can't use your wives for sex, right? Women will tend to want to use it to control the husband, and my, men will want to use, uh, use it just for themselves, right? Their own selfish pleasure with, without any relationship whatsoever that should be there. So you can't do that. Right? Sex is about loving and serving one another. It's about oneness. It's about uh, renewing your covenant bonds. Right? It's a reminder that, that two become one flesh. It's that, that visual demonstration for you. you know? It's like you're renewing your vows every time. And so you must, you know, I, one of the great things is you, you should pray. You should talk to each other. Right? It's not just an act that you just go and, and do and it's over. And, right? This is relationship. This is intimacy. So don't let Satan get in the middle of your marriage. Right? I mean, in here it says, so Satan may not tempt you. I mean, there is a lot of sexual temptation out there. I mean, I can't even say it. I mean, everywhere you go, everywhere you look, every channel you flip to, there's sexual temptation. 
right? Men are tempted. Women are tempted. You can't act like all of us don't struggle with that, right? That's real. That happens. Temptation's not necessarily the sin, right? See, Jesus was tempted in every way, but the, the, we see here sex, this, this renewal of your vows is, is protection for one another. So if you want to allow Satan to get in your marriage, sex can be one of those things. So I'd encourage you to, to talk about that and confess, you know, if you've been depriving each other and, and ask God to change you. The last thing we see is love and respect. 5.33, right? It says men are to love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands. That's, that's kind of a summary of everything he's been talking about, right? Men, love your wives. Women, respect your husbands. And, and so let me just tell you, I want to talk to singles now. Who do you choose to marry? Who do you choose to marry if you're single? Uh, I, I want to urge you to tell you it's, it's not all about looks, right? It's not all about looks. It's not about outward uh, attra- physical attraction, right? Those, that stuff's going to fade, right? We're all going to get old and wrinkled and, and get a, a, a dad gut, right? I'm working on mine. Or maybe I'm not working. Maybe it's already there. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're all going to get old. Those things are going to fade. So why go after something that's going to fade with time? Go after something that's going to grow and flourish over time, which is a, a relationship with Christ, right? You want to look at their, their spiritual, their heart with the Lord. Are they, are they loving Him? Are they serving Him? Are they in community? Be attracted to those things. Those things last and grow. And so if men are to love their uh, wives like Christ loved the church, young men, you should look for a woman who is, who is lovable, right? Who is lovable. That's what you want to find. A, a woman who is easy to love. She's content. She's peaceful. She's gentle. She's submissive, right? She's, she's satisfied in Christ, right? She's not just like driven materially and so outward focused and so self-consumed many men will will settle young men just be honest you you want a trophy wife you want the trophy so you can go around and and show everyone how how cool you are because you have you know a 10 and you're a five right you really are a five too (laughs) i'm just kidding but but men want to want to just focus on that. And so they'll settle for women who are unsubmissive or spiritually immature and are hard to love. And they'll say, but she's so hot, right? But so is hell, right? Hell is hot. <laughs> and if you marry a, a woman who's unsubmissive and not growing or even not even, even a Christian, your life will be hell, right? You won't be able to lead. It'll, it'll affect your children. It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your life. And women need to marry a man who's respectable, right? Look for a man who's, who's respectable. Like, women can love any old fool, right? You've seen women in, in abusive relationships, and, and they love this guy, right? And he's beating her, and he's, he's an idiot. But she loves him still. So women can love anyone. That's why it says, wives, respect your husband. 
Because you can't just respect anyone, right? So you need to look at his character, right? His love for Christ. You got to look for, is he, is he, can he make decisions, right? If he can't decide what number uh, combo meal he wants at McDonald's, that should be a sign for you, right? You want a dude that can make decisions, who's organized, who, who, who can lead. He's, he, he might not be complete, but you're seeing these things in his life, right? He's submitting to the church. He's in community. He's under authority. You want to, let me tell you, you want a man that's willing to submit to authority, right? Because he's not the all, all the authority in your life, right? He's under Christ, right? And Christ has given the church to be over him, right? To hold, that's accountability. So you want to see that he's in church and he can pay his bills and hold a job. You want to marry a man who you, you want your sons to be like. Right? You want to uh, marry a man who you want your daughters to marry. And so men and women, we should, you know, men, we should seek to be respectable men, right? And girls, right, women, you should seek to be loving or, or lovable, right? That, in your time of, if you're single, you have this season of singleness, to, a time to grow in holiness, to pursue Christ, to, to serve him undistracted. And so that's what you should be pursuing, right? You're going to grow in and holiness, and love for Christ, and you be dis- begin displaying the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You're going to become more and more lovable. Men, you're going to be more and more respectable. Don't miss that. Don't waste your singleness. Don't think that, all right, when I get married, then I'll figure all that stuff out. Because you won't, right? You are who you are. And you might figure it out, but it's going to be a lot harder once you get in marriage. I want to end with this. We're going to wrap up. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. So think about this. Jesus Christ was the perfect spouse. Right? He married us. We turned away from him. We forsake him. The scripture tells us that, that we, even as we looked at Judges, right, we, we whore after other gods. Right? The picture is, is that we, we, we commit adultery in God. Right? The, the picture is of bringing a prostitute in the middle of your marriage bed. That's what we've done to God, right? We've brought other gods into the middle of our relationship with Him. We've sinned. We've, we've rebelled. We've gone our own way. I mean, we've blown it big time. But Jesus didn't say, you know what? Forget you guys. I'm out of here. I'm going to go find another wife, right? No, He said, I'm going to love you and accept you, and I'm going to nothing can separate me from your love. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? Christ remains committed. And that's the good news of the gospel, right? He doesn't leave us, although we've been terrible spouses, right? We've been terrible. He loved us not because we're lovely, but to make us lovely. That's the good news. That's where we can find our hope in marriage, whether we've, we've failed we might have failed miserably, but there's hope in Christ. Christ is the one that remains committed to us, and he's going to change us. And as we're filled with the Spirit, right, we become aware of our sin and more aware of our resources, and, and Christ changes us. And, and he fills us with his Spirit so we can know his love and then pour that love out to one another. So, right, if 
I hope, I hope you would feel encouraged at the same time of seeing maybe where you've fallen short today, right? Aware, right? The Spirit's going to make you aware of where you've fallen short. And that's okay. And that hurts. But He's going to make you more aware of how much Jesus loves you. And He wants to fill you and He wants to help you and change you. Cling to Christ. Repent of your sin. Be filled with the Spirit. Be honest with one another if you've fallen short. I want you guys to talk about this stuff. I want you to confess where you've fallen short to God and confess to each other. Right? Forgive one another and figure out, all right, how do, how do we get this in line? What does God want us to do? How does he want us to change? All right? So think about that. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your grace, for us terrible, horrible, miserable spouses. <laughs> if we're honest, that's, that's what we are, Lord church we're broken lord and just thank you for your for your love your commitment to your people never forsaking us never giving up loving us transforming us giving us hope be with us lord strengthen our marriages in jesus name amen